Um, New Zealand is an awesome place. We uh, miss it a lot. Our family is there. Uh, we've, we've lived in California now for three different times. Came out for Master's College back in 92, 93. Master's Seminary, uh, 97 to 2000. And then, um, and each time went back to New Zealand for ministry and for work and all kinds of things. Um, I came back from my doctorate at the Master's Seminary as well. But this, this time, this was a big surprise to us to come back to be at Faith Bible Church in Marietta seven years now. We, we plan to be in New Zealand. That was home. And in many ways, it kind of is home. It depends on where we are. Like if we're here, we call New Zealand home. If we're there, we call California home. Um, and they don't know where we live, really. Uh, our accent, you, you probably think I've got an accent, but when we go to New Zealand, our friends tell us we have an American accent. Can you believe that? Can you believe that? No, right? So we're stuck somewhere in, in between. Uh, we came back uh, this time to serve as, or I was a, I'm a pastor at Faith Bible Church and have been for seven years. Um, I came to... Well, let me think. They, they asked me to come and serve as a pastor in charge of shepherding, somewhat involved in the training center, big time discipleship kind of uh, focus and counseling. And when they said counseling, I thought, no, that's not me. Because what's the first thing that comes into your mind when you think of counseling? Problems. Yeah? Art said it. Counseling is what? Messy. And who wants to be a counselor if it's just going to be messy and hard? That's what I thought, but the Lord has been very gracious over the years and, um, and has given us uh, lots of opportunity. I'm not the perfect counselor. I don't think anyone can be. Uh, we make mistakes all the time, and, uh, and we learn from those and try to move on and grow as a counselor. I'm interested to know who of you are actively involved in counseling like in a, in a general sense that you have a ministry that you would say yeah i from time to time i do counseling anyone i'm looking at three hand oh wait four five six um okay what about this who of you would be actively involved in discipleship discipleship hands up like a little investment into one or two or more people it's almost all of you. You must be ministry leaders of some kind. Is that right? That's good. Uh, who, who would be uh, actively involved in evangelism? Put your hands up. I'm not just talking about sharing your faith like a normal Christian does. We all share our faith when we have an opportunity, right? But someone who pursues evangelism and says, I, I think God has made me for this. Put those hands up again. No one. Wait, the Aussie? <laughs> All right, good. You've had lots of practice because you come from Australia, where there's all sinners. Okay, so yeah, uh, good. It's great. <laughs> um, what about this? Um, who, who loves to counsel? Put your hand up if you just have a heart to counsel people. I, I'm not asking you whether you're good or not. You just like the idea of maybe being a counselor. Put your hand up. Okay. Why are the rest of you here? No, I'm joking. Okay. But who was who really scared? Scared off by the idea of counseling. Like it makes you a little bit nervous. Hands up. Name it. Claim it. 
nice and high. All right. <laughs> it's good. Is there anyone certified in counseling? Anyone? One? Have you, did you put your hand up before when I said, do you like to counsel? <laughs> Why not? Are you certified through whom? Where from? Okay. Great. All right. So we'll talk some more about that, right? So, and, and, and now you're disowning that whole thing? Oh, yeah. Good. Okay, good. Just want to make sure. Anyone else certified, trained in counseling at all? Okay. We'll talk about that tonight as well. Who, answer this question. If there is a huge counseling need, uh, you become aware of something uh, in the church or maybe outside the church, but loosely connected, and you, you're not quite sure what to do yourself, who's your go-to person at Foothill? Like, you, you take this person that you've met with the huge counseling need, and you're going to take them to someone at Foothill. Who's that going to be? One guy. So you, you don't want to take ownership of this thing at all. You just send them to Art. Art, are you, are you getting paid enough? Should we give him a pay rise tonight? What do you think? Art's taken on a, a whole world of ministry responsibility, agreed? A big time responsibility, and, and he didn't tell me to say this, but we want, what we want to do is somehow encourage you all to be in the process of being trained up and being prepared to relieve him just a little bit but expand the counseling ministry of this church. Now, I'm not saying everyone's going to become a full-time counselor. That's not the goal. But we all can improve in our counseling skill, amen? All of us. I'm, I'm imagining that's why you're here. You just want to grow a little bit, and uh, whether that's in a formal counseling ministry or just in an informal sense, as you interact with people, we all can do better. I can do better, you can do better, and so that's why we're here. And so I'm excited about the evening. Let me, uh, let me get the juices flowing, okay? I want to ask this question, and I'm glad you're in tables, because this is make it easy for you to interact, just around your table. So here's the question for you to discuss in your small groups. Here we go. Uh, a new couple walks into Foothill Bible Church on Sunday. By the way, I've got to mention the announcement, don't I? Because coming to Foothill Bible Church as of today and to be inside is legal. Did you know that? Uh, um, you maybe saw the announcement come out uh, that uh, the, the lawyer who was representing Grace Community Church, John MacArthur, they had a hearing this morning and the court ruled in favor of the church and, and the, the, the decision uh, went, it covers all of uh, ch churches in California. So. What that means is, there's a, it's good news, and it might be challenged, but we'll trust the Lord. But um, the good news is this, what they said was that churches are deemed essential, so we can meet inside, and there's no maximum, uh, maximum number caps anymore. Now they say uh, that uh, we should wear masks and still social distance, um, but those first two things, we can be inside, and uh, no maximum numbers, that's awesome. So super thankful to the Lord for that and uh, praying that that would continue for the long term. Okay, so anyway, we're back to the question. Here we go. A new couple walks into Foothill Bible Church on Sunday morning 
and they sit next to you. They've not been to this church before, ever. They tell you that they need help desperately because their marriage is failing. What are you going to do? What are you going to do to minister to this couple? You don't know them. They don't know you. They don't even know the church. They don't even know what the church can offer them. They are so desperate. They've tried everything else. And now that they've got this idea, maybe we should try God. So they walk into a church. What are you going to do? What are your steps? How do you care for this couple? Now, I'm not asking the question. I'm not asking you to, to make a plan in regards to what the counseling should be, as in the words. I'm not asking for the content of the counseling. I'm asking what are the, what's the, the process, the process, sorry. What is the process? The, the steps that you will take them through from, from first introduction to, to helping them. What is it that Foothill Bible Church offers and how are you going to get them into that process? Okay, at your tables, I'll give you five minutes to come up with a plan. Give me some steps, number the steps off, one, two, three, down, down the page, give me the steps. And, and by the way, before you start, number one step cannot be we're going to take them to art okay that's not the step number one all right let's make a start so uh, someone took notes i hope one person per table uh let me let me ask this just as a as an aside uh, type of question uh if your table had a male note taker stand up if your table had a male note taker Four, five. And how many tables do we have? I'm, I was hoping for more than 50%, you know, for the men to step. The women are always more mature than the men. Did you notice that? And the women step up and the men are like, oh, you can do that. Okay, so uh, let's, let's do this. Uh, uh, I'm going to go around just randomly. And by the way, if you're first to speak up, it's the easiest because your idea won't be stolen by someone else, okay? So uh, what are the steps? What do you do with this couple? Your first words, what are you going to suggest for them to do? Anyone? Oh, we need a microphone. Art, pass that around. You, he, you can be the runner. Great. Way over in the corner. Okay, well, we might even make this a little easier for you by making the, the microphone like kind of spread out in this direction and we'll get over here last. Okay, what do we do? Just for context, can you tell me what, what, what do you mean by a small group here at Foothill? What does that mean? So, any of the, like, of the leaders here, small group leaders, have different small groups in their homes. So, okay. maybe finding one uh, or even you know, another couple who's supposed to be one or as a leader of one to be able to hey, God, or, okay. So, okay, and that's fine. We will leave some space for the others. But your, your idea is to try to incorporate them into the life of the church somehow so that over time they will be exposed to some 
biblical uh, Christian marriages and hopefully pick up some things over time. Yes? Okay, who's next? Pass that mic over. Just, just take the mic to a table. They have to step up, okay? All right, good. Yep, you're good. Nobody ever tells them to talk about <laughs> it. Encourage them that they come to the right place. Okay. That this is a place uh, where God is doing work in people's lives and that uh, they've come to a place that's unique okay. uh, that can't help them. Good. They probably tried other avenues for help. Thank you for that. Um, they probably tried other ways to uh, help their marriage uh, and, and found that there's been nothing but disappointment and failure. And so they've come, and they have come to the right place. Uh, is it that Foothill Bible Church is the perfect church? So you're not sending that message. You're telling them the Bible has the answers, and God can help. Yes? Great. Okay, next table. What else? Okay, so you, you're not thinking like on the spot in that moment, right? You're thinking over time you would ask those questions. Good, okay, great. So it's kind of that body life impact. Good, all right, keep going. One question is, are they on the same page? So, the husband and the wife. Right. Okay. So you can kind of like through those questions figure out, is it just the wife that's bringing the husband here? Yeah. Are they both like hungry? Yeah. Great, good question. Next table. Wait, wait, you're going to pray on the spot with them. Right there. Yes. Why, why would you pray with them? To comfort them. Okay. And just to let, even just to send them a message that God is going to be central. And whatever we offer you, whatever we're going to say, God is the one who is central to the equation. And we're going to talk to him for help because you need his help. Not my help, but his help. Yes, okay, good. All right? I'll give you one, I'll give you one more because you can't steal all the rest. Okay, keep going. Pass it, pass it along. Thank you. Are you saved or are you not saved? It's kind of the question, right? You probably won't ask it like that. But... <laughs> But you're going to get there eventually. Yeah. Great. Perfect. Okay. Pass that over. Who's next? All right. Good. I think the first thing that we've been taught is to instill hope. Okay. How are you going to do that? Can you, uh, hope is amazing. Can you tell them, okay, you say to this couple, 
you know what, you've come to the right place, we are absolutely going to transform your marriage. Like, we, I guarantee that the, 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 we, we've got all the answers, we are going to help you, and you are going to walk out of here, like, just totally blessed. Can you say that? I think Steve wants to answer that. Okay, Steve, give it, <laughs> give it to Steve. Wait, wait, wait. Give it back to the trainee. Okay. All right. Prove that you are an elder. Okay, let's, let's go. Can you promise something like that, really? Absolutely. Why not? Because we live in a fallen world. Uh-huh. This guy can't be an elder. He's not going to do anything good. I don't know. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Um, yeah, you can't overpromise, right? And there's no way that we can guarantee that anyone will be helped. Now, we give them hope that the Lord can help, and the Lord has got the answers to their problems, but of course, it's going to be conditional on a lot of things. If they're not saved, what's the first thing that needs to happen? Salvation. Good. He can be an elder. Okay, pass it on. <laughs> okay. The Aussie. Okay, here we go. Uh, we're kind of tapped out here. But uh, just along those lines, the question that we would ask is whether they think that this marriage situation is their biggest problem. Yes. Because running this collapse is their enemies of God. And I think oh. if you come to Christ for the wrong reason, yeah. you're actually not coming to Christ the wrong. Okay. So you're going to tell them, you think you're in trouble, but I've got news for you. You've got bigger troubles than what your marriage is all about. Then you tell them, you've got the, you give them a meal first and you soften them up and you, and you pretend that we're going to love you. And, and let me love you by saying you are going to hell. No, I'm joking. Sorry, I'm interrupting the Aussie. Keep going. Right. Yeah. Sure. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Let's give the Aussie a hand. Let's do that. Okay. Weird accent, but everything else was okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. Great. Next table. We focused primarily on um, the immediate responses that we would have. So really showing them that we care about them. Okay. You know, praying for them there, uh, getting to them better, listening, inviting them over, and, and many of the other things we've said. Okay. Making that initial connection so that they feel comfortable coming back. Your goal is to have them come back again, right? To sure, okay. So your appeal is, we're going to love on you. We're going to minister to you. We want to encourage you. Please come back. Okay, last one. You got through that? Good. Okay. And, uh, I think our, our point was we would want to share some experiences, get to know them, and sort of build a bridge that maybe we've been where you already are. Okay. We've come out on the other side. Yeah. And 
Good. All right. Listen, all these are good things, and uh, I'm encouraged. At least you want to help, and at least you want to be an encouragement to them, and you want to minister to them. It's great. Um, a lot of churches are threatened by visitors, and they're so, they, they, they're so uncomfortable with new people, and they're threatened, they, they almost drive people out the door. And you want to be a loving, welcoming church. If people are coming, they're desperate. This is an opportunity. And most likely, this is a gospel opportunity. This person has never been to Foothill Bible Church before. Probably they've never been to any church before. And they're coming. That's why they come into FBC and not somewhere else, because that's the only church. They've got nowhere else to go, right? So they've walked in the door. They're thinking, maybe God can help. And you're saying, yeah, God can help. It's good. What I, what I heard in all of this is a little bit more of what you would say, but not so much of how you would direct them. It's more like, let's get them involved in body life, which is good. I would do that too. But there wasn't so much of a process of what are the steps and how do we actually conduct counseling? Like, what's the process? Do we get them signed up for anything? Is there a ministry? Is there a way to formalize this? Because... Here, we're talking about one couple, right? But what if there are 10? But what if this happens every week? And, and, and how will you manage this? How will you take care of these people? And uh, in churches that are really rooted in the community, just like this one, and very visible, lots of people around, you'll get visitors. I know you do. And they'll walk in the door, and you've got to figure out what are, we, what are we going to do with them. We were in that same spot. Let me tell you a story. <clears throat> I, um, it's a story of a failed counseling opportunity, uh, but it's a weird one. So I was sitting in a, uh, not Starbucks, what's that other coffee? Oh, sorry? It's a grind in Menifee, sitting there, and there was a guy at another table, and he was looking me up and down for a long, long time. I was working on my laptop, and he's like checking me out. And I'm like, what's up? Turned out, about an hour, he, he comes over and he says, I noticed you've got a ring on your finger. I said, yeah. He said, how long have you been married? I told him, so this was a couple years ago, so then it would have been 27 years, 29 years in a couple weeks from now. And um, he said, well, you must have done something right. I said, well, um, the Lord's been gracious. And uh, he said, my marriage is falling over and um, I'm wondering if you can help me. This is a perfect stranger in a coffee shop. I mean, this is, this is how you want evangelism to go, right? <laughs> You're someone to come to you and say, hey, how do I get saved? So he, he does that, and he, I said to him, you know what? Um, this is amazing. Someone said a comment about the providence of God. I said to him, listen, God has sovereignly designed this moment, and I believe that God has put us in touch with one another. Because you'll never guess, I'm a pastor and I do marriage counseling. His eyes just kind of blew up. He was excited. I said, listen, do you, do you want to like, get into some form of marriage counseling with me? I can set that up. Do you think your wife would be interested? He said, no, I don't think she would be interested. She kicked me out last night. So he's, on the, he's basically on the street. He's a good-looking guy, like he was a business, he had business clothing, so he, you know, obviously had some money, maybe in a hotel or something. But I said, do you want to get together for marriage counseling? He said, not here, but I'll meet with you. I said, great. 
I, I was a little dubious about his commitment because we just met. And I, so I, I gave him my business card. I said, listen, if you really want to do this, shoot me an email. So I jumped in the car, I drove home, and as soon as I hit my laptop at home, there was an email. All of his details, contact, what have you. So I called him up, I said, let's meet back at the coffee shop in a couple of days. And I set up, on my calendar at least, a regular weekly meeting with him. Well, he's a nice enough guy, but we started meeting, and then at about week three, he wrote to me, he said, I don't want to meet anymore. He said, I want marriage counseling. I, I don't want homework. I, I want someone to fix my wife and my marriage. I don't want someone to tell me that I've got some work to do and some things to change in my life. And he wrote a long email and basically called it quits at that time. Sometimes that happens, yes? And when it does, it's, it causes some reflection. So I'm thinking, wait a second, was I too tough? Was I too hard on him? Were my expectations too great? Maybe I gave him the kind of homework that I would normally give to a Christian man, and he just wasn't used to that. But maybe uh, I, I was too quick to get to the issue of personal sin. I'm not sure if you could ever be too quick, but, but you want to at least present that in a way that's winsome, and gracious, you always want to be filled with tr truth and grace like the Lord Jesus Christ was. So maybe there was some reflection for me, or maybe I was actually very patient and very kind and showed him love and he just didn't want to hear the truth of the Word of God. Maybe that is what happened. So all I'm saying is this, you, you meet a stranger, there's always a calculated risk, isn't there? Sometimes it's going to work out, sometimes it's not. But you got to have a plan. Maybe the plan involves you, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it involves other people. But there's got to be a plan, and there's got to be a way to facilitate this. So, what I want to do is this. Uh, tonight is a little bit about what is biblical counseling, and tomorrow would be to help you think through what would be some mechanisms and things that, that maybe you could do. These are suggestions for a fertile Bible church ways to navigate this exact situation. How could we do this in a way that would be really, really helpful? So uh, this is tonight. I think you've got it on your, uh, your schedule there. We want to talk about what does counseling ministry look like at Faith Bible Church. A few questions there. I want to nail down what is biblical counseling because we've got a, a guy who's graduated from, where did you say? Cal Baptist with a degree in what? Counseling? Yeah, let's all spew up right now, shall we? No, I'm just joking. Okay. Um, uh, we want to talk about what is biblical counseling. I'm joking with you because I, I think there's actually, uh, a, there are some things we can learn from the world of psychology, but never to compromise biblical truth. So we'll talk about that, okay? Um, not that I'm an integrationist. We'll get to that, okay? Uh, what is biblical counseling not? And what are the foundations for biblical counseling? Uh, and the role of that in the church and so forth. Can, can I make a guess, because I kind of haven't, maybe I asked Art, is there like an official counseling ministry at Foothill? Yes or no? No one wants to say. No? No. Okay, 
that, that should be fixed, yeah? That, because there are people who have needs. And, uh, and it would be something that you want to, you, you can't just start, the, you can't say tonight, let's do this and be in full motion. It's going to be a slow start getting this thing off the ground. Let me give you a little bit of history for me at Faith Bible Church. Uh, Faith Bible Church is a church plant. Uh, it started, oh, Serena, how many? How many? No, no, we were there. We got there seven years ago. The church, 20... 2003, thank you. You'd think I would understand her accent, but I, sometimes I don't. Okay, so 2003, the church was a church plant. Um, it started in one of the elders' backyards, and just the ball started rolling, and this church started to grow. They had, I don't know, 50, 60, less than 100 people that first Sunday as a church plant. It was pretty amazing. Um, uh, the ball started rolling. Chris Mueller, does anyone know that name? Chris Mueller, senior pastor, teaching pastor. He came, I don't know, about 15 years ago, something like that. And then um, and the church continued to grow. And then we, I, I came on staff uh, seven years ago. At the time, the church was just blowing up, like the people being added all the time. But we had a core, a really solid core of solid, mature Christians but over the last seven years, what got added to that were more fringe people. Do you know, have you experienced that? They're more fringe, they don't always get plugged in, and they're not necessarily that well taught in the scriptures. They haven't necessarily come under sound doctrine and good preaching, but they come and they're like, well, FBC or Faith Bible Church is my church. So they get attached, but they're not the solid core. So when they come, they come with lots of problems. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the core doesn't have problems either, because sometimes the, there are problems there. But now we're growing, and we've got to figure out a way to shepherd these people, because some of them are slipping through the cracks. Now, we have uh, a really, I would say, and I've been a pastor in several churches and traveled a lot around the world and been exposed to local churches, and I've, I've seen lots of different models of churches. And, and, and there's lots to learn wherever you go. At Faith Bible Church, this has been one of the best experiences in, in, my, in my exposure to a church that is really deliberate when it comes to discipleship. Um, now, it doesn't mean it's perfect. There's always ways to grow and, and, and mature. But when it comes to discipleship, the, the core of our church is very deliberate. We call discipleship... Uh, purposeful relationships, uh, deliberate relationships for the purpose of growth in Christ. Discipleship is not, you know, getting together and playing Monopoly and eating, eating pizza. It, it can be that, but that's not purposefully directing people towards growth in Christ. So we're going to go after that, and, and um, discipleship is not necessarily one-on-one. -on -one. It can be, but not always. Um, in fact, we think there's some dangers in one-on-one -on -one discipleship. If I, if, I say, if I take the Aussie, Wayne, and I say, I'm going to disciple you for 10 years, he runs the risk of becoming a Kiwi, right? But we, we don't want him to be a Kiwi. We want him to be like whom? Jesus Christ. So if I independently 
set this discipleship relationship up with Wayne and it's just me, then Wayne is going to turn into me and that's going to be terrible. We need him to be like Jesus Christ. And so that means we don't take an approach where discipleship is always one-on-one. We want to say discipleship is many-on-many so that you come up with a balanced approach to having that influence on each other's lives. But that's what you were saying. The first few groups were saying, hey, let's get this couple and fold them into the life of the church. Really good, because they need the church, yes? They need the church. So in discipleship at FBC, there was a good core group doing that, but there was these new people coming. And they weren't involved in discipleship. Some of them didn't want to be involved in discipleship, but they had all kinds of problems, and we had to minister to them and help them and serve them. So we had to come up with a plan, a counseling plan, a counseling ministry. Now, I I want to say this, and we'll, we'll get to it later, maybe tomorrow. When someone enters into counseling, we're going to ask them to be at church every Sunday. It's a condition. If you want us to counsel you, you've got to be at church. And you've got to take notes. I'm going to look at your sermon notes as part of the homework. We also say you've got to go to one of our midweek Bible studies. We call it a community group. But you've got to be there. You know why? I, I found over the years that th- there's been lots of stories. We, we say counseling is hard and messy and sometimes it's disappointing and sad. But there is some fruit in counseling. It, it can be a wonderfully... Uh, blessed and fruitful ministry but the stories that come back to me is someone will say you you know what Nigel it wasn't our counseling session that helped that much it was my my um, involvement in this small group I met 10 people over here and they started to model and teach me a few things that they are the ones who had the biggest influence not you Nigel Well, that's good for me. It keeps me humble, right? But it just tells us that the body, life, and the influence of the church is super important in all of counseling. So what we had the situation then at FBC, and we said, okay, we've got to have a process to counsel because we cannot afford to let this opportunity go uh, go away. So the elders said, Nigel, you've got to come on board and start a counseling ministry. I kind of had a heart for discipleship. I'd had that way back in New Zealand. Counseling was scary for me. I was a little nervous about it. Um, I I didn't really even have that much patience with people. Um, And, uh, but the Lord has really helped to grow me. Serena has been a huge help to, to, to grow me in some grace and patience. And frankly, after a few failed counseling attempts, I realized I had to change a few things, okay? So that's, that's kind of my history. What we've done at Faith Bible Church is we've started a counseling ministry. We started with one person, me. It was it. And, uh, and then I had a few meetings with people that I thought would be good to add to the mix. And um, they came on board. They weren't, weren't trained. They didn't have any training. But they loved people and they loved the Lord. And they, they knew the Bible pretty good. So we started, and we had, uh, we called it a soft launch counseling ministry at FBC. We put out some flyers, basically uh, directed that to our local congregation. That's all we did. And we had this influx of people. 
come in for counseling. We couldn't, we couldn't keep up. We just couldn't keep up. We didn't oversell ourselves. We didn't tell them <laughs> that this is going to be the best thing ever. We were just offering some help and they came. And so what we've learned over the years though is that we need to be really careful that we grow demand and supply at the same time. <laughs> Does that make sense? Huge demand for counseling, not enough supply of counselors. So I'm pulling in people, hey, can you do this? And can you meet with that person? I'm trying to manage this whole thing. Then we started to realize, ah, we're not trained for this. <laughs> we, we can't do this. We, we're, we're hitting some situations. We just don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. Uh, we, we're hitting some roadblocks and we need some training. And so I'm going to talk about that tomorrow to get in that training mode. But that's kind of like, that's counseling at Faith Bible Church. That's kind of how it grew. Uh, we haven't arrived yet, but we're, we're really, really trying. But I would say this. We've got people in the church who are saved as a result of the counseling ministry. We've had marriages that were on the, on the verge of divorce. We've had drunkards. We've had homosexuality. We've had um, abuse. We've had all kinds of situations, eating disorders, uh, depression, uh, bipolar, all, all kinds of manner of things. And people have come and the Lord has been gracious to change their lives. And that has been awesome to watch. And the, the neat thing about counseling is you, you get to go along for the ride. It, it's almost like you, you kind of step back and you think, well, what did I do? Like the Lord did that and the body of Christ had an impact and I just get to observe and see this happening before my eyes. And it's such an encouragement. There are other times which are really hard and disappointing. So it comes with a balance. But anyway, what's the next question? We've got to do this here. Okay, what, what is biblical counseling? Help me out, because I don't want to do all the talking. What is biblical counseling? Someone help me. Where's the microphone, by the way? Lucas, what's biblical counseling? <laughs> he gets half marks. That, that is... The definition of discipleship. Oh, okay. discipleship. Discipleship, yeah. But you were listening. I'm impressed with that. Did you write that down? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Okay, Who, what is biblical counseling? Anyone, please. Way over here. Let's, let's run the microphone. Is that okay? Thank you. Right there. Okay. Biblical counseling. We need to define our terms, right? Because we need to be talking about the same thing tonight. Super important. Okay, thank you. What is your name? Linda. Linda. I would say it's using scriptures to guide people and believe Okay. So you focusing on biblical, therefore the reference to scriptures, the Bible, as the textbook, the source of truth in order to be able to help people. Good. Well done, Linda. Love that. What else? Other definitions of biblical counseling? Anyone, please. Anyone at all? Wow. Okay. I'm going to help you, okay? Is it because you're too shy or because you really don't know? Too shy. Too shy. Okay. Let's talk about what biblical counseling is not. Should we start there? Is that okay? 
Biblical counseling is not therapy. Do you know what therapy is? Therapy is when you walk into someone's office, the doctor, the therapist, and they say, would you please go over there and lie down on the couch? And uh, we've got 30 minutes, and I'm going to ask you some questions, and you're going to talk to me and reflect on life and your problems and maybe some history and your childhood. And, and I'm going to listen, and I'm going to probe, and then, you, and then when we're done, you're, you're done, you walk out and you come back next week and do a repeat. Therapy is basically when the, the counselor is asking some beginning questions and when the when the counselee starts to talk then the counselee says oh that must be so hard and the counselee will reflect a little more expand the answer the 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 account the story a little more and then the counselor says wow uh, tell me more and it basically goes like that it's kind of a mirroring session where the counselor mirrors the counselee in order it's here's the goal that the counselee would do some kind of self revelation some self-discovery so that they might find what it was was the source of their problem sometimes you know they do some reflexive uh, uh, dream therapy and all kinds of things but the idea is something happened early in their life maybe in their childhood, maybe in some situation that's messed them up, and this kind of therapy is going to help them discover what it was. Biblical counseling is not that. In therapy, the counselor doesn't give any answers. In therapy, the the, the counselor doesn't have any source of truth. He doesn't have any mandate to to glorify God or to do anything that would be gospel-oriented or even to help the person change. The, 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 the counselee doesn't need to change in therapy. The counselee needs to learn more about themselves. That's, that's the goal. So biblical counselling is not therapy. What, what else would biblical counselling not be? Anyway, yes. Coaching. Define coaching. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. So so many uh, counselors, at least in the secular field, their goal is to help someone to find pride in themselves, or help them to find a way to love themselves some more. You will feel better if you become more comfortable with yourself. In fact, you're never going to be able to love someone else until you learn to love yourself first. Have you heard that before? This is secular psychology. It's the idea that um, somewhere in your life you got messed up and now we're going to find a way for you to love yourself anyway. If you can learn to like yourself, then you'll get along better in life. This is psychology. Um, psychology, let me give you a bit of a history, is that okay? Psychology uh, started, you, you know the, the, the father of psychology, Sigmund Freud, he died in 1939. So it's not even that old a discipline. You know? So um, he, uh, what, what he 
taught was that our problem is a disease, not a sin. The problem is disease, not sin. Our problem is with the, our in, animal instinct. And, uh, and he said if we can strengthen someone's ego, then we're going to help them to live a better life. Build the ego that's going to be good for you. And what you do with that is you, you help the person to realize that they're a victim of circumstance, help them to deal with their victim mentality, build up their ego, self-love, and they'll be fine. That's what he said. After him came the Neo-Freudians. Uh, they, they said that people are a socially governed animal. You know, the, ho the whole idea with psychology is that we're not created beings. We're not created in the image of God. We, are, we have descended from monkeys. As, uh, uh, psychology is based on evolution. And, uh, and psychology says that you were born good and your circumstances messed you up. The Bible says you are born what? Really, really bad, depraved, and you need to get right with God. Psychology says, no, you're born good, someone messed you up, and now you need to self-discover yourself. Go back to the beginning. After that neo-Freudian phase came uh, Skinner and his behaviorism. Uh, there was Albert Alice. All of these kinds of uh, phases of psychology. And actually, when you look at all the models of psychology, there's so many of them, and they've started even competing against each other. There's not even any agreement. Now, most people would say that psychology is based on science. That's what they would say. Observable fact. I, I would... I wouldn't say science, but I'd say this. There are some things in psychology which are observable and we can learn how to ask good questions and we can learn how to uh, kind of probe a little bit and, and talk about life issues in some categories that are helpful. But I tell you this, the solutions that are offered by psychology and therapy are not biblical at all. They don't re reflect the Bible at all. In fact, they're totally opposed. Um, psychology says that we need to help someone discover some personal uh, some personal satisfaction the Bible says we've got to help someone get right with God it's not about personal satisfaction how do they have a relationship with God that's what the Bible says uh, the, the Bible says we're created by God to glorify God we're fallen uh, that we are uh, we are the result of sin, the sin of our forefathers and our own sin. And, uh, and the Bible says that we need to deal with that sin. The Bible says that a counselor, or you could call it a discipler, a disciple maker, an evangelist, if we put them all in the same camp, our job then is to help that person not to just discover themselves, but to just discover who? God. To learn the gospel and to learn how the gospel will impact their life. Now, there are some Christian counselors who would say, well, let's take the, the best of both worlds and pull this together. We call them integrationists. I'm just giving you a summary. And uh, they say, well, let's, let's take the best of both of these worlds and pull it together. You know, we can believe in evolution and the fact that God has a plan for man's life. We can believe that People need to learn to love themselves and to learn to love God. Let's pull these both together. 
see if it works. But does it work? Like, just we're, we're believers, we're Christians, we know the Bible. Does that really work? These are two opposing worldviews and they do not mesh at all. So when we say biblical counseling, we, we don't mean psychology, we don't mean therapy, we don't mean the integration of any of that with the Bible either. We say biblical counseling focused on the glory of God according to the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God to change a person for God's sake and for their good, but for God's sake. And we're using the gospel and the word of God in their lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about that. I want to give you a break. We'll come back and we'll talk a little more about what that means. So let's take uh, five minutes uh, to get up, stretch your legs, do what you need to do. Super cool to see all the fellowship. Hey, I really want this to be as interactive as possible. So if you need to interrupt me, if you've got questions, if you've got comments, please, uh, please do, do that. Um, super helpful to have those uh, conversations going on. Biblical counseling is not passing on your own wisdom. Agreed? Biblical counseling is not where you, have, you sit down with someone and say, listen, I've had some good life experiences and I've learned a few things along the way. Let me share them with you. That the guy in that coffee shop, that's what he wanted from me. My personal experiences. He thought that I could help him because I had a ring on my finger. That, that is not biblical counseling. And when he found out that I do biblical counseling, he didn't want a bar of it. Super sad for me. So I was going to take some time to write a definition of biblical counseling, but let's do this. Um, is anyone familiar with ACBC, the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors? Anyone? A few hands. Just recently, uh, the, uh, Dale Johnson um, came out, he, he's the head of that ministry, came out with a, a definition of biblical counseling. They put it out on their podcast. And over a series of podcasts, they kind of revealed this and explained it. So let me put it up here for you and read this. There's, uh, there's three slides. Are you familiar with this? Okay. All right. Good. So let's do this. This is what Dale Johnson says. Biblical counseling is the personal discipleship ministry of God's people to others under the oversight of God's church and dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's just take one little phrase at a time. Biblical counseling, of course, is not psychology. By the way, do you have your Bibles? Bible, pull out your Bibles. Did, did you bring your Bibles? Men, leaders of your homes, did you bring your Bibles? Good. Or your phone or whatever you have. I, I've got my iPad, so I'm the same. Uh, Colossians, sorry, Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. Wait, am I in the right place? It should be, verse 20. Oh, uh, yeah. You know what? It's not. It's chapter 2, I'm pretty sure. Let me go on down. Yeah, here we go. Chapter 2, verse 20. Thank you. So um, this is what Paul says to the Colossians, verse 20, chapter 2. You've died with Christ to, get this, you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Think worldly solutions to human problems, okay? Think, 
therapy, think psychology, think all of the fixes, the quick fixes that the world offers, you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as, this is what the world says, don't handle and don't taste and don't touch. In other words, the world has all kinds of fixes for life band-aids to put on things if you just don't do that then you'll be fine if you do this you'll be good rules band-aids superficial fixes for life that's what the world offers we've died to all of that these rules verse 22 which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men we've died to that stuff there are matters, verse 23, which to be sure, which have to be sure, the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Listen, there is a better way than what the world offers. Biblical counseling is different than the world's fixes. And so that's where we start. And look at this, biblical counseling back on the screens is the personal discipleship ministry. Counseling is discipleship. I don't really think that discipleship is necessarily counseling. Maybe there's some crossover. I would say this, every Christian should be in the process of discipleship. Does that make sense? We, we all should be investing into someone and someone should be investing into us. Purposeful relationships for, for the goal of growth in Christ. We all are involved in discipleship. Counseling comes to really deal with a very specific issue. When there's a problem, when there's something that someone has really tried but can't get past, they come for counseling for help on that specific thing. Discipleship is much more general, right? Let's just grow in Christ. Everyone does that. But counseling is for a specific time on a specific issue and you help someone grow and then they get past the counseling. They are let loose to go back into the normal relationships of the church, the body life, discipleship and so forth. So it's the personal discipleship ministry of God's people. Unbelievers can't do biblical counseling. You realize that, right? It's, this is the ministry of God's people. Only the church can do it. And so it's, the, it's a ministry of God's people to others under, this is really important, under the oversight of God's church. Someone comes to you a, a, a man comes to one of you men and says, I've got a problem with, with pornography. It's been there for 20 years. And, and you start meeting with him. And, and then and, and you're going through the process of trying to help him with this issue, this sin issue in his life. And, and after two months, three months, four months, five, six, maybe even longer, you, you figure out that this guy doesn't really want to change. He's done some homework and he says at the beginning he wanted to work on this, but it's pretty evident that he doesn't want to change. If you're not under the oversight of elders, what do you do next? There's nowhere to go. If you're in the context of a church, you've got elders. You can step up the accountability, yes? You can involve some people. That's Matthew 18, isn't it? 
you, you see someone in sin, you go to him. If he listens, great, you've won him over. If he doesn't listen, you bring two or three witnesses. You can only do that in the church. Like if you're in an independent counseling situation, no one else is involved and you're not under the oversight of anyone, you can't step it up. There's nowhere to go. In the church, you step it up. Step three, if he's still not listening, then you're going to tell the church. The church goes after him over the sin. And if he still doesn't listen, then you ask him to leave the church. You can't do that with someone who's not in the church. So, so it's the ministry of God's people under the oversight of God's church and dependent upon the authority and sufficiency of God's word. This, this is what we believe. God's word is the final authority. Amen? If you want to know the truth, where are you going to find it? God's word. Not through me. I, I, can, I can be authoritative as long as I speak God's truth, God's word. Apart from that, I've got nothing to say. And so in counseling, I want to bring the word of God to bear. It's not going to be, well, you know, Serena and I, we've been married 29 years. We learned a few things. Let me share them with you. It's not going to be that. That's not authoritative. We were telling Art and, and Kim earlier, our first year of marriage was really hard. You know why? My mother used to vacuum the carpet every day, and Serena didn't. <laughs> like, what's up with that? And I could go into a counseling situation and say, you know what, lady, your problem is you don't vacuum the carpet every morning. That's what my mother did. If you would just do that, your marriage would be... I'm joking, right? The, the point is, my experience is not authoritative, and no lessons that I've learned in life or in marriage are going to help except for when they are based on God's word and being fleshed out in life. Maybe then we can talk in realistic ways about how the word of God applies in our lives. Secondly, the word of God is sufficient. You don't need to go anywhere else. The word of God tells us everything we need to know through the knowledge of the one who bought us, yes? Uh, and so 1 Peter 1 is uh, super important when it comes to that. We, we know... The Word of God has given us everything we need to know for life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him that's God who called us. You don't need other textbooks. You don't need other books. Just go to the Bible. I, I remember, do you know the name Steve Lawson? Anyone? Steve Lawson, preacher, Shepherd's Conference, maybe heard. Okay. Uh, he preached at the Shepherd's Conference several years ago out of Hebrews. Uh, the passage is, uh, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword cuts deep, separates the, the bone and the marrow. And he, he said this, he's talking about the power of the Bible, okay? He says, he says to all these pastors, he says, put away your butter knives and plastic utensils. Put them away. Stop using other resources to try to help God's people. Pick up the sword like it's sharp. <laughs> And it's powerful and it's active, it's living, right? And, and it cuts deep. So pick up the sword. In counseling, you've got to know the Word of God. You've got to know the Bible. You've got to know how to wield the sword and bring it to bear on the life of that person in that situation. Super, super important. The authority and sufficiency of God's Word through the work of the Holy Spirit. Do you and I change that person? No. Who does? God through the Holy Spirit 
Super important. Would you, would you, here's a question, would you counsel an unbeliever? Who says yes? Who says no? Let me ask it again. There's some of you like a non-committal for some reason. Who says, yes, I would counsel an unbeliever? Hands up nice and high. And those who would say, no, they've got to be a Christian and then I'll counsel them. You're not sure, right? We know this much, without the Holy Spirit, no one changes. No, no one changes. You, you can put band-aids on, you can give people a few pointers to improve life a little bit. But I'm really not in the business of helping people temporarily. I really, I mean, I, I want people to have a good life and I've got a sister who's an unbeliever. I'd, li I'd like for her to have a happy life. I'd like for her to get saved. But I don't want her to have a miserable life either, unless the Lord like the prodigal son, uses that to bring her to salvation. But, but here's the point. I know that she will never have a God-glorifying, satisfying, joyful life with, with, with peace and with harmony in her relationship towards the Lord without becoming a Christian. She just needs to become a Christian, right? Am I going to counsel her? Yeah, but what's the purpose of my counseling? so that she gets saved. I want to bring the Word of God to bear on her life or any unbeliever's life so that they see that their biggest problem, someone said here before, I forget who it was, it was the Aussie, uh, he, he said, um, your, your biggest problem is not your marriage problems, it's you've got a bigger problem with an eternal holy God who's going to judge you forever in hell if you don't have a right relationship with Him. That's the biggest problem. So I'll, I will sit down, and after I've got a rapport with a, a new couple, it maybe takes, sometimes it's quick, sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's even longer, a meeting. And once I get to that place, I'll say, you know what, guys, I've been meeting with you for a while now. I kind of have a feel for where things are at. And I want to let you know, you've got this one thing that you have not mentioned, and for some reason it's a blind spot to you. You've come to me because I'm a pastor and I'm using the Word of God, but you don't even realize what your real problem is. You've got a problem with the Holy God. And you're going to face Him one day, and you're just not prepared to face Him. Would you be willing to talk about this? And this is the way I usually present it. I'll say, listen, we can work on your marriage or your problem or your issue, but we've got to lay some foundations first. Can we work on those? And then we're going to get to this. Usually they're going to say yes. Sometimes they say yes, but don't mean it. <laughs> but they, sometimes they say yes, and now I'm just going to work on that. Let's lay foundations. So we'll just go back and we'll just start on, through on the gospel. Creation of man, the fall. Um, man created for God's glory, but sinned. Created a problem for the human race. Potentially uh, an eternal separation from Christ, uh, your sin. You, and I'll even say, you've been trying to fix this, haven't you, and in your own strength and you haven't been able to? Like, yeah. It's because you've got a sin problem and you need help from God. And I'll, and I'll add to that, I'll just start building the gospel. I'll give them memory verses about the gospel. And I'm always saying this in reference to their problems. So if they've got a marriage problem, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep referring back to that to give them hope. <laughs> Keep them coming back, keep pulling them in, but the issue is going to be the gospel. Make sense? 
So we go there. Would I counsel an unbeliever? Yes, as long as they're willing to go along with me in this process. If they kind of opt out, then sadly, that's an evangelistic opportunity that I can no longer pursue with them. Are they going to change without the Lord? No way. Not going to happen. With the Lord, now, I've had so many stories, and I tell you, at FBC, Faith Bible Church, so many people did get saved. And it was exciting. And then their marriages were changed. Their lives were transformed. Their parenting, the kids all of a sudden started responding to these parents who now were Christians. Awesome things, really good. Now, that's only the first page. Two more. This is what Dale Johnson says. Biblical counseling seeks to reorient disordered desires. You know why he says that? Because counseling is not couch therapy. The counselor has got a job to do. You've got to reorient this person. You've got to teach this person something. You've got to change them, change their mind, so that they think in godly and biblical terms, not just reflective dream therapy. So it seeks to reorient disordered desires, affections, and behaviors. That just means that most times a person's problem is not just on the surface, but it's a problem in the heart. It's going to be desires, affections, loves, goals, what they want to make out of their life. That is often the problem. Uh, the, the reason why, for instance, I don't know, uh, a, a guy goes to the fridge when, when he gets depressed, he goes and he, he eats more than he should when he's in a bad situation. You know why he does that? It's because he doesn't have a faith in a God who's in control. He doesn't have a faith in a sovereign God. So he goes and tries to put a, a fix, a cell, something to make him feel better because he doesn't know how to trust God. I, this, is, this is the one thing I've learned in counseling. Every single counseling situation I've ever come across it has something to do with a person's misunderstanding or misappropriation of the character of God. They don't understand something about God. They don't understand He's sovereign. They don't understand He's loving, that He's forgiving. They don't understand that He's present. They don't understand that He's... That, that, uh, that he's holy. They don't understand that he can see everything. That guy steals something. Why? Because he doesn't realize that God is watching. Every sin, every counseling issue is based on some misappropriation or misunderstanding of God's character. So what we've got to do then is have that person understand who God is. What is God like? That will be the transformative thing in their life. It's not good enough to say, well, just stop stealing. Stop going to the fridge. It doesn't work. It's a band-aid. That's, that's Colossians 2. You know, don't touch, don't taste. That's all it is. We go for the heart. So biblical counseling then, it seeks to, uh, we're over here, uh, reorient disordered desires, affections, behaviors toward a God-designed anthropology. People have swallowed the lies of this world for too long. We've got to give them a God-designed anthropology in an effort to restore true worship. Isn't that the first commandment? You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
First commandment, worship God. Sinners' number one problem is they don't worship God. Counselees' number one problem is that they don't worship God and they've allowed other idols to creep in. My idol is comfort. My idol is a good wage. My idol is a government that is democratic, republic, whatever it is. My idol is a car. My idol is sex. My idol is whatever it is. And their problem is that they don't worship God, they worship their idols. So the goal in counseling is to excite them, to encourage them, to direct them to a true worship of God and right fellowship with others. That's commandment number, well, the second greatest commandment, right? Uh, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what counseling is, a right relationship to God and then a right relationship to others. That's all it is. So that's how we're helping. Number three, this is accomplished by speaking the truth in love. Oh, this is so important. Some of you are all truth and no love. Some of you are all grace and no truth. Do you know who you are? Like if you could, if I said, if you're all truth, in your fleshly self, okay? <laughs> if you were just left to yourself. And the reason why I ask this question is uh, um, John 1 says that Jesus came full of grace and truth. He had the perfect balance, right? Uh, he, he always told the truth. He never compromised. But he said it in gracious, loving ways. Always. And the two of those come together in a perfect balance. Most of us, almost all of us, are going to tend to, towards one or the other. If left to ourselves. If you're all truth, black and white, true is true, you're wrong, this is right, this is the right way, everyone else is wrong, this is so clear, how can no one understand this? If you're all truth, put your hand up. Put them up high. They're all over this side. The, 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 uh, there's some liars on this side. I don't, I don't know. Okay, if you're all grace, all grace, put your hand up nice and high. Some of you think you're perfectly balanced in between. I don't understand that. None of us are. Serena, what are you? Did you put your hand up? You're not involved in this whole exercise? Why not? What do you think I am, grace or truth? Yeah, see, I just did it to her. Because uh, it should be so easy. She should take part. No, I'm joking. So do it again. Listen. No, in counseling, some of you, you know the word of God. You know the truths that should be applied. You know exactly the answer to their problem. You know where to find it. And you deliver it with gumption. I mean, you give it to them. This is so clear. This is so easy. This is what the Bible says. Just do this. No love. No patience. And the person that you're giving it to feels stomped on, crushed. This is too heavy a burden. Your expectations are way too high. I just cannot, I can't do this. Who's been in that situation, by the way? Delivered a message that's just too harsh. Art. Art's told me before he gets angry sometimes. Because he's all truth. But he's learning to be gracious, agreed? 
Yeah. Who's been in the situation where you're all grace and, um, and your, your temptation is to compromise the truth in order to maintain a relationship? I just want to be a friend to this person. And so if they say something wrong and then another thing wrong and another thing wrong and over weeks and months of them saying stuff that's wrong and you still haven't addressed any of it, because you want to be a friend. <laughs> who's, who's been in that camp? All right, a compromiser. Somehow as a counselor, you've got to get the perfect mix. And, and some of you are going to be swinging the pendulum from truth to grace to bring it over a bit. Some of you from grace to truth to bring it over. But the point is, in counseling, you've got to get this. Um, speaking the truth in love and applying scripture, not your thoughts, not your suggestions, but scripture to the need of the moment by comforting the suffering, calling sinners to repentance, thus working to make them mature. I love that word working. It reminds me of um, a passage in Colossians chapter 1. Um, I've got that here. I just, uh, instead of looking it up on my laptop. Colossians 1.29, working. This is what Paul said. He said, For this purpose I also labor, striving according to his power, which works mightily within, within me. This is Paul's commitment to work hard. Some of you don't like counseling because it's too much hard work. You've got to invest too much time. It's going to take too much out of me. I can't, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Paul says, no, he strived. He strived to minister to people. He gave his all. He worked to the, to the extent of exhaustion. And, and then, then this, it says here, working to make them mature as they abide in Christ. Well, that's Colossians 1, 28, isn't it? Paul says, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. I, I'm assuming I come from a church that is mostly Calvinist. You know what that means, right? Believe in election, predestination. But you know what hyper-Calvinists do? Like if you push that too far, a hyper-Calvinist will say, well, if everyone who's going to get saved is going to get saved because God chose them anyway, then I don't need to do evangelism. I don't need to be involved because they're going to get saved anyway. God chose them. So I'm just going to go on vacation. I don't need to be involved in evangelism. Paul was different. What he said, he says, we proclaim him admonishing who? Every man. And, and teaching every man with all wisdom so that, here was his goal, so that he could present every man complete in Christ. He wasn't a lazy Calvinist. He was a hard worker and his goal was to, to walk into the Lord's presence on that final day and to have a whole long line of people come behind him and present them all complete in Christ. He worked hard to turn them into Christ-like believers. That was the goal. Never give up. Our, our task is serious, and so we need, to, we need to take it on and run with this thing. Now... What time? What time do we finish, Art? Nine, Nine o'clock. Okay. Did we finish all the questions? 
What's the role of biblical counseling? Do you refer outside profession? Oh, yeah. Is there ever a situation where you say, you know what, that's too hard for the church. We're going to send you off to someone else. What's the answer? I'd say no, no way. You know, have you ever heard that saying, um, if you're sick, go to the doctor. If you're, uh, how does it go? If you're sick, go to the doctor. If you need to know God, see a pastor. If you're depressed, see a psychologist. And you know what that's based on? I don't know if you've ever thought through the, there's a whole argument in scripture, like is, is, is the human being made into two parts or three parts? Uh, the dichotomist view and the trichotomist view. Have you heard of this whole thing? Uh, the, the, the dichotomist view says that man is a, a material part, the body, and an immaterial part, the soul that, that was breathed into man when Adam was created and then will live forever. Two parts. The trichotomist view says there's a body, a soul, and a spirit. And that a body, which is the physical part, has a soul attached to it. It's the mind, the thoughts. And then there's the spirit, the, the immaterial part, which is the part that God breathed into Adam, which lives forever. And that the spirit and the soul are two different things. This is where this whole argument comes from. If you're sick, see the doctor. That's the physical part, right? If you, if you want to know God, see a pastor. That's the, that's the spirit part over here. And then you have the soul, which is detached from the spirit, they say. You can deal with the mind, the thoughts, without dealing with the soul. To which I say, no way. You can't separate those. They, they will never be separated. By the, and by the way, when we die, our body goes into the ground. It's the immaterial part that's always going to be alive. And the spirit always has a mind. The spirit always has thoughts. They go together. They're attached. They, they will never be separated. So to think that you can deal with one and not the other at the same time is crazy. So no, we say, listen, as a biblical counselor, we can deal with the problems of life. All I'm saying is this. We're biblical counselors, but we're not, we're not so extreme in our view that we discount any kind of physiology in the human condition. Does that make sense? So biblical counselors aren't necessarily always against medication. We would say this, though. Biblical counseling says this. You don't put someone, a child and a teenager on medication just because they can't stay focused at school and they have ADHD and ADD and they can't sit still. That's not the first go-to thing. Does it make sense? Now, physiology is real. Not, not discounting that. I'm just saying, in the secular world, they've got no other option but to use medication. We've got better options, don't we? We take them to the Word of God. And if anything can change them, it's going to be the Gospel, the Holy Spirit, sanctification, some discipline that comes as a result of all of that it's going to help so i was i want to keep a balanced view uh, years ago uh, it, it was that there was such a antagonism towards medication and i just think biblical counseling has learned a few things along the way in that regard we're not integrationists but make room for that um, 
we've kind of done all that. Here, here, okay, here we go. Here's an exercise for your table. Here we go. This is kind of going to wrap together everything we've talked about tonight. My th- you, you meet a person, and this is what they tell you. My therapist has been helping me for the past 10 years. I meet with her every week. She's such a good listener. She never tells me what to do, and I love it. And, and this person tells you this. What are you going to say in your groups? Figure out your response, okay? By the way, some of you are truthful, some of you are gracious. <laughs> You've got to get the balance, okay? So not just what are you saying, but how are you going to say it? I'll give you a couple of minutes. All right, that's enough time. Okay, you good to go? We're on this table over here. So how are you going to help this person? Uh, what are you going to say? Oh, in the corner, there's a microphone, sorry. <laughs> Ooh, good. <laughs> now you're up. Uh, we need more time. No, uh, for 10 years is long enough. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that would be, that would be something that we would have to do. It's been 10 years how far we've got. How long we've been My knowledge of this is too. He doesn't run away when I have something to say. And then she never tells me what to do. Okay, good. Pass it over to Art here, because he's got the answer. Okay, so, um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put yourself in this situation with this person. Like, what is your words to this person? Not just like third party to us, but to them. Okay. So I think what I would ask. I'll pretend I'm here. Yeah, it's been great. And uh, you love it. That person listens to you, whoever that therapist is. You like that. Has it helped you at all? I feel like it's been helpful. With the specific things that you've been dealing with, the issues that you have? Yeah, she's she's really been understanding a lot. Has it changed your your life? Has it changed the things that Just gives me something good to look forward to every week. My time with her has been really really good. Right, talking is good. Yeah. It's good to things out, share Yeah. But but she makes me feel better about them. Yeah, I I really I like to talk to her more than I like to talk to you. <laughs> All right, now you're going truth on me. <laughs> and, and by the way, you, um, so we haven't really even talked about where you stand with, with the Lord. You have 
Okay. I haven't really thought about it, I guess. So you really, so you don't have to Well. Would you be open to talking about God? Talking about the Bible? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I love listening to people who are good. I, I love talking to people who are good listeners. Sure. Okay, you're going to take me to the gospel. Thank you. Pass the, one more turn. Okay, this table right over here. Okay, here we. Who's up? Okay. So, so are we role playing? Just what are we doing? What? Am I answering the question? Role playing. I'm role playing. Yes, please. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, so, Sally. You mentioned this service has been really helpful. It always has has helped you over the past year. She's listened. She's listened to me really well. She's listened. So when you say that you've been helped, in what ways has that actually helped uh, shape your life from week to week? Yeah, I, I told I told your friend just before. Like he, she she really is like an like, encourage. When I, I like going to talk to her because she encourages me. Do you have any desire to? You, you would? I mean, yeah. be able to help you. Would, you're willing to help me go in the right direction? Absolutely. Yeah, but not my own. I have actually a great roadmap in, um, in the Word of God, in the Bible, and I'd love to, to help you, not to um, bash over the head with truth, but to actually provide lasting change. Okay. All right, good. That's good. So we maybe I'll go for that. So... Um, <laughs> Good. All I'm saying is it's difficult, isn't it, to switch the attention to the right things. Really hard, because we kind of know where we need to go, but it's hard in the moment. And we've got to practice. Like, th this takes some practice. Really good. Uh, here's another one for you. Here's another one. In your groups, someone comes to you and says, as a man, and this is hard to say, but when I was in junior high, I didn't have any friends and I was bullied a lot. And as a result, I've never really liked myself. And there have been times when I've even considered suicide. But now I'm learning to love myself and it's helping me to get through each day. What's your response in your groups? And we'll do role plays when we come back. <laughs> okay, all right, good. All right. Good job. Listen, here's what I want to do with you. Go to 1 Thessalonians, and we'll finish up our time here. 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter uh, 5, verse 14. Thank you, everyone, who took part. You know, role plays are difficult, aren't they? Um, especially, you know, when... The power really uh, is in the guy in my position because I can tweak this thing anything I want, I, any way I wanted to take it. So, but you guys did good. 
Here's the thing, in all discipleship, relationships, counseling, we, we tend to bring our approach and, and put that on the table regardless of who we're ministering to. We, we, we all have uh, some experience and some um, uh, pastoral shepherding uh, expertise and we kind of wish that the people that were coming to us would fall into our categories because we're confident in dealing with those things and not, not other things. This, is, this would be true in parenting as well. But look at this. Paul says, First uh, Thessalonians 5.14, We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. So there's, there's four commands. The, the, the last command, be patient with everyone, that's just a general, that's everyone, right? So let's, let's, we'll just put that to the side. That leaves us with three categories. You've got the unruly people, you've got the faint-hearted people, and the weak people. You see those, right? So the unruly people would be those people who know what to do and, and just flat out reject it and, and don't want to do it. They just want to be sinners. The faint-hearted people are the ones whose faith is just weak. They've got a weak faith. And they can easily just be affected by circumstances and people because their faith is not strong. And then the third category is the weak. These are the people who are so weak, even physically so, that they don't need encouragement, they need actual help. You need, they, they need you to go to their house and do the cleaning for them. They're sick. They, they, they can't take care of the matters of the day, and so they need people to go and do stuff for them, right? So here's the thing. The unruly people, the first group, they, they need admonishment. That's correction, exhortation. They need to be corrected. Then you have the faint-hearted, the, the weak faiths people. They need to be encouraged. You put your arm around them and you give them words of encouragement. And then there's the weak who need actual real physical help. Our problem is this. Well, it's two problems. The first is we all have a tendency to want to rush to just our own personalities, okay? Want us to go either towards admonishment, encouragement, and or help. In other words, some people are more inclined to help than, than correct. Does that make sense? Some people are more inclined to encourage than to bake a cake. Some people want to go for the jugular, yeah, and go for the correction, and they just don't know how to show any kind of mercy whatsoever. And so we have our own strengths, our, our bents, um, that, that we, we so much want the right person so we can bring our our approach to their situation and we want it so much that we often give the wrong approach to the people who need something different. Does that make sense? Here's the second problem. Sometimes we misdiagnose what's going on. I sit with people in counseling and they are the loudest, most brash, most arrogant people, at least on the surface. And then after some time, I realize, you know what? This person, they're actually just weak in faith. And if I, if I diagnose too quickly, 
and I, and I respond to the, the harsh, brash words that, that, that they have coming to me, then I'm going to miss the real issue. The issue is they're faint-hearted and they just don't know how to trust God. Does it make sense? Some people um, are very quiet, <laughs> very calm in a counseling session and you think, to them, you think to yourself, well, they just need encouragement or maybe they need some help. But at home, they are the most sinful, angry, bitter people that, that thrash out at others in, in the house. And, and I've misdiagnosed because they're so self-controlled in the counseling session. So what I'm saying is this, you've got to take some time to get to know the person. Now tonight, in the role plays, it's real hard, you don't know what you're dealing with. But over time, what you want to do is to somehow develop a rapport so that you can actually get to the core problem. What's really going on? The person who, who says, I'm learning to love myself, uh, you, you, you probably, if you dig long enough and, and you were really trying and it was good, um, you probably find out that this person has got some deep-seated sin, secret sin that no one knows about and he's feeling guilty and he's embarrassed and he doesn't want to tell anyone. And that's what you're trying to uncover, but it's going to be super hard because for all this time he's been learning how to love himself and suppress those things. Uh, Paul tells us in Romans, you suppress the truth and unrighteousness. That's what unbelievers do, right? So all I'm saying is this. It's going to take some time. Our time is gone. We, we need to pack up. Um, tomorrow, uh, we come back and we're going to talk about what it would take to get kind of a, the beginnings of a counseling mindset, a discipleship mindset in the life of the church. I know that you're all ministry leaders, elders, pastors, so you have some influence and you've got the ability to, to bring about, maybe not church-wide, but at least for yourself, this mindset that says, I'm going to be looking out for counseling and discipleship needs, and I'm going to be more purposeful to approach those in a way that would be helpful and fruitful. Instead of sending them to art, I'm going to either do it myself or get them in touch with someone. But what is the mechanisms to do that? That's what we'll talk about tomorrow. Is that okay?